Well, thank you, worship team. You know, I praise God for our musicians and our singers that come here every week and prepare to lead us into worship. You know, this time is a time for us to refocus our minds and our hearts on what we're singing. You know, I miss gathering together as a congregation, being live in person, worshiping together. But, you know, there is something that we can still gain out of looking at a screen and worshiping the Lord. If you look at the words of the song, they have a message. You know, we often think that uh, worship is a warm-up to the message. But actually, all the worship songs have a message in them. And if you catch them, and if you hold on to them, oftentimes they're going to speak about the promises of God. They're going to talk about the story of God, and you are a part of that story. And so you can enter in and be a part of that by entering in, thinking through, singing at home, just being a part of this worship service. Uh, You know, I don't know if you guys saw the Super Bowl uh, halftime show. I often like to watch the halftime show to just see who's going to be singing and uh, what they're going to be singing. And this year it was uh, The Weeknd. Yeah, that's his name, The Weeknd. And um, he did several different songs. And so I was uh, listening to the words or trying to listen to the words. I couldn't understand the words. And so I went to my man, Jeff, and I said, Jeff, how do you get the words to the songs that The Weeknd sang? And uh, so he sent me the link, and I saw the words. And then what I did is I read the words of the song, and I said, oh, my goodness, you know, this guy is really singing about something that is really in his heart. There's something that's going on inside his heart. And he's talking about love, and he's talking about sex, and he's separating them from the two. And it seems as though, as you listen to the song and you're trying to interpret it and understand what the artist is saying, it seems as though he's been hurt, and he's also hurt others in love relationships. And today, I want to talk about love. I want to talk about the idea of understanding and growing deeper in our love for God. I think it's so important. I think it's foundational for our Christian life. It's something that we all need to understand and know. You know, the lyrics that he was singing grieve me because they told the story of pain, probably abuse, and difficulty. And you know, so many people are going through that in their lives. You may be going through a difficult time in your life. You know, there's another classic song written uh, over 35 years ago. And it also has the same theme that The Weeknd was talking about. And I want you to uh, listen to it. Listen to this song. What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? Oh, wait. Oh, Jeff, we're back on. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, look at guys. 
that song was by Tina Turner. Doesn't it have a catchy tune? It has this uh, tune that you can just, uh, you know, you can just sing to it. I, I never forget the words, but if you think about the words of that song, they're very revealing. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? You know, that song was autobiographical of Tina Turner's life. She never felt love from her mother or from her father. When she was 11, her mother, Zelma, ran away, ran off, seeking freedom from her abusive, from Tina's abusive father. He, uh, she relocated to St. Louis. And two years after her mother left her family, her father married another woman, and he moved to Detroit. Tina and her sisters were left to live with their grandmother in Tennessee. And Tina Turner stated in her autobiography, I, Tina, that she felt her mother had not loved her, that she was called, quote, wasn't wanted. And that her mother had planned to leave her father even when she was first pregnant with her. You know, Tina later married a guy named Ike, Ike Turner. And, they, and he was the leader of the band that they formed. Tina and Ike were successful duo, and they had a band, and they traveled up and down uh, the, the north, the south, the east coast of uh, the United States. And they sang. They packed out crowds. They were very successful. But you know, as successful as Tina had become, she never felt really loved. She never knew in her heart that she was really loved. And in 1984, after she had broken up and divorced Ike because of domestic abuse, she wrote this song as an autobiographical song of her life. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And you see, what happened to Tina was she was hurt by love. She was hurt by the people she was expecting to love her, and it was never enough, and it broke her heart. What does love have to do with your life? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. What kind of love, that kind of love that is defined in the Bible is so clear, it's so beautiful, and it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every one of us long for acceptance, we long for belonging, we long for security, uh, and oftentimes we try to find it in things or people, and we're never satisfied. Our soul is never satisfied finding it in other things. You know, if you're single, do not believe the lie that to hook up with somebody else is going to bring you that sense of love that you long for. You know, if being loved and acceptance is a significant force in your life, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The bad news is a person can never fully satisfy the need for love you have within your soul. No person could ever do that. No thing could ever do that. And the good news is that there is a deeper love. It's God's love. And it can truly satisfy your soul. And he does this and he places his love within us and he uses us as an instrument of love for other people. Today, I'm going to be officiating a wedding of a couple about to embark on the adventure of marriage. 
And I always encourage couples to place Jesus in the center of their marriage and for him to be the foundation of their love and of their relationship. You know why I do that is because 50% of marriages end in divorce. And of the 50% that don't end in divorce, only about 20% are fulfilling and loving relationships. Otherwise, you know, people just live kind of like uh, married single lives. They're married, but they're acting like they're single. But if two people can have their hearts renewed and healed in Jesus and their soul needs primarily met and satisfied in God's love, they can have the capacity to love one another through the ups and downs of life. There is a source of love that is coming into their life that they're able then to express to one another. Now, you don't have to have a traumatic past like Tina Turner for your heart to become hardened towards love. Some people consciously choose, instead of love relationships with people in God, they choose to place all of their passion into a career or all of their passion into education or all of their passion into making money or all of their passion into achieving or accomplishing something that they feel like is just so important to them. And in that place, a lot of times they're substituting the love that God has for them for something else. Many times they achieve what they set out to do, but many times they realize that does not bring satisfaction and happiness to their lives. You know, even when the Holy Spirit is inside of a Christian, even when God has saved them and they've gotten baptized and uh, they, they've uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit, they can still not walk in love. They can still not experience the presence and the power of God's love in their life. And you're saying, Al, what are you saying? Is there any hope for me then? I mean, or what are you saying that somebody could actually be a Christian and not have God's love in them? That's true. That can happen. You see, God has this deep, unchanging soul love, and the Scripture talks about somebody that has experienced God and yet doesn't have love. And let me... Uh, let me show you what it is. It's throughout the Scripture. This often happens. It happened to King Solomon. He had wisdom. He had knowledge. But he didn't have deep love for God. He started out strong, but then he ended up not loving well in the end. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He's saying that God has created us to understand and experience His love. And without God's love, we often hurt ourselves and we can hurt other people if we're not being controlled and directed by that love. And this is what he says. after He's talking to this church in Corinth, and they are a multicultural church. They have diversity all over. Many of them had come out of sex slave trade. Some of them were prostitutes. Some of them were homosexuals. Some of them were uh, just uh, totally broken people. And then they came to Christ, and their lives were transformed. But this is what he's saying. They were gifted with the Holy Spirit, but then he wanted them to grow deeper 
in their love for God and one another. And this is what he says. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, the Apostle Paul is using the example of somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even spoke in tongues, but they're not loving. And have you ever talked to somebody that that's all they do is talk about themselves, pontificate about themselves, um, just are so focused on themselves that they can't even hear you? And they keep on talking and talking and talking, and it's almost like it's a clanging cymbal or, you know, static electricity. It's very hard to listen to them because it's always about themselves. They've lost love. And then he goes on to say this, if you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. The Apostle Paul is contrasting somebody that has deep wisdom, knowledge, can preach, can um, also have faith that can move mountains, but if they don't have love, if it's not motivated out of love, they have nothing. They are nothing. And then he goes on to say this, if I give all I possess to the poor, I mean, Paul, what are you saying? And I give over my body to hardship that I may boast. Oh, there's a key there. That I, it might be about me. But do not have love. I gain nothing. So there's times when people sacrifice themselves and others, even at, ex even expen at, the, at their own expense, but their motivation for doing it is not love. And the Apostle Paul is calling it out, and he's saying you're missing. You're missing the most important thing in your life, the love of God for your life. You see what Tina and The weekend missed and many of us often fail to understand about love is that it's not just an emotion. The kind of selfless love the Scripture calls us to should be the greatest priority in our lives. It should be indispensable. It's not secondhand. It is the priority of our lives. You know, so what is love? What is, what is true love? One of the greatest definitions ever written in the history of mankind, has been inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. In the first century, it was before Valentine's Day was ever conceived, commemorated, and consumerized. Husbands, if you want to know how to love your wives, listen to this. Single people, if you're thinking about meeting someone, this is the standard to understand if you, if you truly want somebody that's going to love you. To all of us, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever age you are, you are called, if you're called to be a follower of Christ, he calls you to this standard of love. That's powerful. Let's, let's look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to think about it and read it slowly. And, and, and uh, just think about this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. So it says what love is and what love is not. Now somebody challenged me one day to put my own name inside there. And if you did that, if I did that, I would say Al is patient. Al is kind. Al does not envy. Al does not boast. Al is not proud. Al does not dishonor others. Al is not self-seeking. Um, I'm not living up to that standard. You see, when we live, when we see the definition of love and what true love is, biblically based, the kind of love that Jesus had, we fall far short of that. So this is a mirror to us to help us to understand what the standard of love is and where we need to grow and mature and go deeper in our love for one another and for God. This goes on. Uh, it says, it keeps no record of wrongs. Isn't that amazing? That love forgives and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, but let's be honest. If these are the attributes of love, we need to grow in them. You see, Jesus lived this kind of love with his disciples. He lived it even in front of his enemies. He lived this kind of love with those that agreed with him and those that disagreed with him. He was patient with those that were disillusioned, that, that were disillusioned fans and followers. He saw deeper into people's souls than they even saw themselves. Jesus had the ability to look deep inside the soul and see what was the real need. And you know, sometimes we can see what's deep inside our soul by what we are feeling at the moment. If we're full of anger, if we're full of fear, if we're full of anxiety, there's something deeper going on in our souls that it's not settling on the love of God, the deep, everlasting, ever-caring love of God. Our souls have settled on something else, and, they're, and it's frustrating, and it's difficult. You know, I want this message to be personal. So we think about what love is. Uh, I don't want you to drift off into some kind of political thing. Don't think about President Trump. Don't think about Madam Pelosi. Uh, don't even think about the person that you're most angry with today right now. But I want you not to get emotionally hijacked by thinking about somebody that you're angry at, but I want you to think about why you're angry and why there's the difficulty in your life, why you're frustrated. Because that will bring you to a place of understanding if you've moved away from God's love, from that deeper love that he wants in your life. And if you're failing to live out God's love, we need to realign our lives to God's definition of love, not ours, but to God's definition. And you know why I say that is because if you want to be a follower of Jesus, he'll always remind you of his love. He'll always hold up the image of 1 Corinthians 13. And the Holy Spirit will always bring you back to God's love and how you're loving others based on his love for you. 
Even if you've been betrayed by somebody, even if you've been dishonored, underappreciated, whether you've been through a breakup or it's just frustrating to live out life for God, He'll call you back to His deep love, His care for you. Because, because that's who He is. That's how much He loves you. You know, I want to also say something about love. Love is truthful. Love is honest. Love doesn't just cover up or gloss over the offenses that happen to us or that we do to other people. The, the God's love actually wants us to enter into the pain of other people that maybe we've caused pain to, and it also wants to protect us from being hurt again and again by somebody that's been abusive or hurtful towards us. And that's why Paul states in here, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, whoever has hurt you or betrayed you or in some way, um, you're still called to forgive them, but you're not called to be abused again and again and again. You don't enable somebody to hurt you. And so sometimes we have to speak the truth in love so that we can be healthy in the love that we experience and understand and know. The kind of love that Jesus had. And that's why Paul says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way of living. You know, after he talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he talks about the love that God can place in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has come into our lives, revealed the love of God, but sometimes it only gets this far into our heads. And what it needs to do is penetrate right down deep into our hearts, our souls, to the deepest recesses of our pain, our hurt, our questions, our doubts, our fears. We need to be secure in the love of God. Dr. Bruce Terpstra wrote a book called The Three Passions of the Soul, and I highly recommend it. I've read it twice, and I'm still learning things about myself by reading that book. And I've got a diagram here. And he calls the three passions of the soul. The first one is acceptance. And the second one is significance. And let me just explain acceptance. Acceptance is uh, the, and, and this is the passion of the soul, passion of the soul. The passions of the soul. So there's this sense that everybody is born wanting to belong, wanting to be nurtured, wanting to be cared for. This is what Tina Turner was singing about or even talking about in her autobiography. She never felt belonging. She never felt exception, acceptance. She never felt nurturing. 
there was this deep passion in her life to find that out. And instead of uh, trying to get that from God, she tried to get it from other people. And they used her and they abused her. And the second part is significance. Significance is that sense of accomplishing, achieving, winning, uh, a competition, uh, and overcoming. And a lot of us, we gain uh, one of the passions of our soul is a part of it is significance, that we want to have this significant life. We want to accomplish something with our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what happens when we fail, when things don't turn out the way that we thought they would? Then we get disillusioned, and we don't have any sense of significance or worth in our lives. But you know, God gives us significance. The Lord is the one that has accomplished so much in our lives and He gives us identity and He gives us a sense of worth so that we can do the things that He's created us to do. Significance. And then the second one, the last one is security. Security. Now, a person that has, needs that sense of security or needs that sense of control often you'll notice that they want to be right. Before they attempt anything, they want to make sure that they're going to be able to do it. They want to be accurate. They want to do it excellently. And many times they do. They, they research. They, they, they do everything. And that gives them a sense of security and control. But you know what? Life gets out of control. You can't control life. But God is sovereign and he can give you a sense of security. So the three passions of the soul, and there are three passions of the soul. Everybody has three passions of the soul within them. Some more than others. Some, some are really big on you know, needing acceptance and uh, wanting never to be rejected. Other people, are, are, they really need significance. They, have a, they don't want to fear failure, but sometimes it controls them. And other people, they have that need for security. But you know what? God's love, God's love is what needs to be in the center of our lives. It needs to be the foundation of our lives. Okay, Dr. Bruce Terpsha says these three passions of our soul, acceptance, significance, and security, are always at work in our lives. They are the means in which we know love and offer it to others. We're designed by God to give and receive love because we are created in His image and bear His image. You see what he's saying here? It's, he's he's talk, taking a scripture from Genesis chapter 1, but it's talking about how we're created in God's image. He said, let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, are uh, three in one. They have this wonderful, glorious relationship of relationship, the Father to the Son, the Holy Spirit to the Son, and to the Father, and they glorify each other, and they delight in each other, and they love each other. And then they invite us into this relationship. They do, God do, invites us into this relationship with Him. And this is where we find out what real love is. And He teaches us through the Holy Spirit. And then He says this, we will pursue these three passions by receiving love from God Himself as we were designed 
or we'll pursue these three passions of the soul by seeking love from other things. You see, the three passions of our soul will not go away. You'll always be seeking acceptance. You'll always be seeking significance. You'll always be seeking security. In some degree, in, in your life, you'll be wanting those things in your life. It's very natural to want those things. They're, they're, they're just natural. They're created within us. It's the vacuum that we have within us. But God is the only one. It's only His love that is going to satisfy that need within us. And that's what he calls us to experience with himself. So how do we really apply this lesson? Let me give you three action steps to take. Number one is, are you aware of what's going on in your soul? Are you aware of what's going on in your emotions, in your very life? And are you convinced deep down in your soul that you are secure that you're accepted, that you're significant in God's love. You see, uh, Tina Turner, and I don't even know if The weekend understands this, and most people don't. They don't have this idea that they're secure and accepted in God's love, and out of that love, they can then love other people. Number two, go back to the promises of God's love, being rooted and grounded in His love, God always calls His people back to His everlasting covenant of love. There's this passage in Isaiah. God's people had turned away from Him, but then He called them back to Himself. And He called them back with love and with mercy. And it says this, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. Don't fear rejection. Don't fear failure. Because of my love, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For the Lord has called you back from grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by your husband. You see, relationships and, and difficult relationships, they can really do violence to our souls. Uh, that's why Tina Turner said, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Some people just give up on love altogether and harden themselves toward it. I don't want to be hurt again. But look at what God says. You're not going to be hurt again. For the mountains may be moved and the hills disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. What a beautiful promise of everlasting love, of love that God has placed that within our lives, that he wants us to live out of that love. And number three, give to others the 1 Corinthians 13 love that you have received from Christ. And when you do that, when you begin to give to others, not just think about yourself, not just try to get your needs met for security, significance, and acceptance, but really see that other people have this need in their lives. And then with God's love, you have empathy and you have direction and you have compassion and you have words and actions that will actually bless them. Live that out. Live that out. God wants us to do that. And look, at, I just want to close with this one prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. And, and he prayed this for us, but... God is praying this for us. He really wants us to understand this. And it's really 
the theme of this year, finding and pursuing the deeper life in Christ. But it comes out of this deeper love. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, 17 and 19. And I pray that you, you and me, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He's describing the love of Christ as something that is tremendous. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes past your head into your heart and throughout your soul. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what we're pursuing when we're pursuing a deeper love with God. We're asking Him to fill us with all His fullness, with all His love, so that it penetrates all the hurt, all the pain in our lives, and then even motivates us then to love others as He's called us to do. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to do this work in us. Father God, we just come before You. Thank You, Lord, that You hear us. You hear our cries. Lord, You know what people have been through in their lives. You know what their need is, whether it's for acceptance, significance, or security, and maybe all three of those things. They're crying out for those things, but Lord, we know that You are the answer. And so, Father, we come before You. We humble ourselves, and we ask You to fill us with the fullness of Your love, that love that is so wide, so high, so deep, so long. Lord, that you would fill us with your love today. And Lord, that we might live out of that love, the abundance of that love. We ask you to forgive us for pursuing after other things or thinking that other things are going to satisfy our soul. We ask, Lord, that you would turn us and reorientate us to your love, to, to your everlasting, eternal love. Pray this in Jesus' name.